when I applied for college, I was an absolute idiot, <laughs> to be honest. Like, I was stupid. And my mom, um, she didn't know any better. And listen, she she was a hardworking, single mom, two kids, just trying to keep us alive, right? And there I am, uh, an entitled, selfish, bratty little teenager. And here's the honest truth. I applied to one college and I got in. <laughs> Can you imagine if I didn't get into the one university I applied to, right? How would my life look different today? Maybe things would have just been paused and so on and so forth. But listen, this was idiotic, a terrible approach to uh, post-secondary education. Now, not only that, I got very lucky with some uh, awards and funding. So I had no college debt after leaving as an undergrad. Now, today's guest is here to talk about free college. That's right. You can go to college for free if you know how to play the game. And that is the whole point of the conversation. So I, I think you'll enjoy some of the tips and tricks that she has. And if it makes sense, you know, you can uh, check out Jean's work at College Prep Genius. Hey, it's Danny, and welcome to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast, a show for ruckus makers. Those are those out-of-the-box leaders making change happen in education. And we'll be right back after a few short messages from our show sponsors. Deliver on your school's vision with Harvard's Certificate in School Management and Leadership. Learn from Harvard Business and Education School faculty in self-paced online professional development specifically designed for pre-K through 12 school leaders. Courses include Leading Change, Leading School Strategy and Innovation, Leading People, and Leading Learning. Programs run July 20th to August 17th, 2022. Apply by Friday, July 8th for our upcoming cohort at betterleadersbetterschools.com slash Harvard. During COVID, every teacher is a new teacher. That's why innovative school leaders are turning to TeachFX, whose virtual PD is equipping thousands of teachers with the skills they need to create engaging, equitable, and rigorous virtual or blended classes. To learn more about TeachFX and get a special offer, visit teachfx.com forward slash BLBS. It's teachfx.com forward slash BLBS. All students have an opportunity to succeed with Organized Binder, who equips educators with a resource to provide stable and consistent learning, whether that's in a distance, hybrid, or traditional educational setting. Learn more at organizedbinder.com. Hey, Ruckus Makers. I am here today with Jean Burke, the author of the award-winning College Prep Genius Program and is a frequent contributor to various media outlets. Her children earned incredible scholarships. You're going to hear this story that included free college. That's right, free college. And she has taught students how to ace these tests all over the USA and other countries. She is a sought-after speaker who equips, educates, families on college prep and scholarships. Jean, welcome to the show. Thank you, Daniel, for having me. Ah, for sure. And I already alluded to this in your bio, but 
you know, we're going to talk about free college, but here you are, right? You're homeschooling your kids. From what I understand, you know, the family was on one income and you had no money. There was no money for college, right? But then a friend told you that free college was based on a test score. Can you tell us that story? Well, you know, um, we always wanted our kids to go to college, but, you know, you don't really save. And if you are one income, there's really no extra money. And uh, as my friend told me that one day, my son at the time was in ninth grade and I was intrigued and I thought, well, I didn't know much about a test, but I knew that college was something we wanted and we didn't have money. And so I thought, well, maybe this is a way that we can get some money. And uh, little did I know what it would become. But with my son, Josh, he was in ninth grade. We kind of started looking at the testing, like the PSAT at the time. And, you know, we didn't have any money for one of those really expensive name brand schools that may or may not work. And so we just had to do everything on our own. We bought some books at the store. Uh, you know, we went to a couple local classes. We went to lots of practice tests over and over and over again. And short story long, he became a National Merit Scholar. Um, and we literally threw away about seven trash bags of college offers. Um, and that was over a year's time after he took his test. These were everything from full ride, free tuition, free room and board, grad school, you know, um, honors, dorms, uh, $5,000 spending cash. I mean, it was crazy. And it just, this happened, you know, every day my mailbox was filling up. And then after my daughter got her scholarship money and free college offers, my friends were calling me on the phone wanting to know, okay, you got to tell me how you got free college. And, you know, after some coaxing by another friend, I ended up writing a book and then starting a class out of my home. And so now we've been able to have taught tens of thousands of students how to do the exact same thing. Yeah. But uh, what a testament to, you know, how you show up and serve. And it's uh, it's wonderful. That's a, you know, a repeatable process, right? You've cracked the code and you can teach that code to others. And uh, it's worked for, like you said, tens of thousands of folks. Uh, I do want to bring you back to that moment, though. I'm curious if you could reconnect with your emotions. Like, what was it like to throw out seven garbage bags <laughs> full of scholarships and awards, you know, and different types of awesome things? Well, you know, had I knew what I know now and know that I was going to have a company, I would have saved a lot more of those letters because yeah. when they came in, when I, we would open up a letter, it would be, you know, Hey Josh, if you come here, you know, I'll give you a full ride. And, you know, he would just kind of ignore it and it get, maybe they would send another letter and say, you know, up in the ante, we'll give you even, you know, we'll pay for your grad school. And wow. so it was, it was exciting because our decision went from, how in the world are we going to go to pay for college to where in the world should he go? Because mm. he had so many offers. And so what he would do is he would just, the letters and the stuff would come in and he just kind of piled them up in his room. He just let them pile up, pile up. And that's, I'm going to throw them away. And that's how I know. Um, <laughs> and he had, he sort of had his little, you know, this place looks like it's going to be too cold. You know, this place over here, you know, it's too big. And so he had his criteria and what he was looking for. It was exciting. And I thought maybe we're onto something here, you know, something I had no idea. I didn't know it was going to blow up like this, but it was pretty exciting. I can relate to Josh uh, in the sense that, listen, I, I grew up, you know, born and raised in Chicago. Right. And so my first teaching position, I, I'm an honorary Georgia Peach. Right. And my first uh, my first teaching position was right outside of Atlanta in Marietta, Georgia, because I was sick of the snow. Then back to Chicago. Then down to Houston. I'm always trying to run away from the snow. Now I'm in New York, so it has certainly uh, found me for sure. <laughs> <laughs> but that's all right. All right, well, back to you. So, you know, in, in figuring out free college and that kind of thing, 
what have you found, you know, has worked for you versus what didn't work in terms of getting free college? Well, one of the things that we learned, um, and it took, it was about a year and a half as Josh and I were going through a lot of stuff. You know, some of the things that we bought didn't work. Some of it did. Sometimes I'd go through a whole book and maybe one thing worked out of it. So we would pull that yeah. out. And when I got ready to, to write the book, uh, it was a matter of trying to pull everything together that did work. Some of the things that now looking back on it, that did not work. And that, um, and a lot of people still teach this. And that is that learning thousands and thousands of vocabulary words uh, is absolutely unnecessary to beat these tests. There's over 171,000 words in the dictionary and only the test makers know which ones will actually be on the test. But at the time, I did not know that. I was told you need to know these words. So I made my kids learn thousands of words. And so it it was great because they built their vocabulary up. They ended up writing books that included those vocabulary words. So it worked out. Uh, But one of the things that I now know that I teach my students is that these tests are not about content. They're not about what school you go to. They're not about your IQ. Uh, They are logic tests. And the reason why most students and even some really, really smart kids, lots of valedictorians are in our classroom, the reason they don't do well is because it takes a different skill set. Uh, the questions are purposely misleading and the wrong answers can be very appealing. And so this is why you've got students who have, may have a 4.8 and honors in AP classes who still will bomb these tests. And so if they, if, if they understand that test taking is a skill like golf or piano um, and that anybody can do well, any, anybody can beat these tests. It should be another class in school because the kids are going to be tested all their life, not just getting into college and getting scholarship money. Uh, if they go into post-grad school, law school, med school, uh, at their job someday. I was at last week when I was in Missouri, a gentleman came up to me and said, you know, you're so right on. He says, I'm an engineer and we are tested every six months and we are tested not on our ability to know what we're doing, but our logic and critical thinking skills. And we have to get certifications all the time. It's all about the test. And so I'm a big believer that test taking uh, should be a separate class. And it, and it doesn't com- conflict with your math or your science or your English. It actually, actually complements it. Right. Yeah. That critical thinking and the logic, you know, piece can serve you in, in so many uh, different ways. So you, you brought up one, uh, one maybe myth around test taking in terms of knowing all the vocabulary, right? Uh, I'm curious, and you might have an example, you might not, and that's okay if you don't. But, you know, the listeners of this show, the ruckus maker who's listening, principal, assistant principal, or maybe some other kind of, you know, educational function, they're probably fairly familiar, right, with these tests and that kind of thing. Is there any other uh, way to get free college that the ruckus maker listening might not just understand or they might believe it's important, but it's actually not? Oh, absolutely. Uh, There's so many ways to go to college for free. Um, Certainly the test score is the big open door because 85% of colleges are going to admit and give money based on your test score alone. But one of the things that I teach families and and love to teach schools and teach parents is that it does not matter what your income is. There is free college for everyone. You know, we live in this society where every time an election comes around, you hear certain candidates, probably on both sides, who talk about, well, we're going to give everybody free college. And, you know, my take on that is there's already free college. And if you just know it. And so what one of the things that we I show families is, listen, once you de- determine your income, and it doesn't matter whether you're low income, middle income, middle to high income, makes no difference. Um, there are scholarships, even full rides available for every level. 
And so I share with them how to do that based on, you know, your incomes and your stats. And one of the things too, that for your ruckus makers out there is uh, for them to understand that, and, and, and of course they want their kids to have good grades and good stats, but to find the schools in which their students' um, stats are above the 75th percentile. And you can do that very simply by going to what's called the common data set. And that will list all the colleges, the thousands of colleges, and their mid-range test scores are 75th percentile. But you want to find the one where you're, if, if let's say a certain college has an 1100 and that is SAT, that's their, uh, that is their 75th percentile. Well, if you've got a 1300, you are well above that. And they're going to do everything they can to get you to come to that school. They're willing to pay your way. They're willing to roll out the red carpet because what that does is that brings their rankings up. The higher the test score, the higher the college's rankings, which not only makes them look good, but also they are now able to attract students who can pay full sticker price. You know, kids, those type of kids who have that kind of money, they can write a checkout, but they want to go to high ranking colleges. So when you're coming in with a high test score, you're making the school look better, or they may have some very talented athletes that they have admitted with just the bare minimum to get in. And that's going to drop their rankings. So now they're out looking for these kids with higher scores to bring their rankings up. So it totally benefits everybody all the way around. I see. All right. So um, what I'm what I'm hearing you say then is like, hey, if if your student right can uh, score higher than seventy five percent of the current kids that college is serving, then you have a pretty good opportunity at getting free college. Am I understanding it correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. And is that also like, so if you only have an okay score, is that, is that the way to uh, potentially get free college or is there anything else with okay scores that uh, people can do? So there's, there's a lot of things. I, you know, I've got a book that I've been working on for four years about so many ways to go. Um, there are exchange programs from various states. Mm-hmm. Um, there are, you know, there's obviously early college that you can get. There's a lot of college online that's completely free. Some people might use a, uh, sort of several strategies to get free college. They might, you know, you know, get a grant. They might, uh, you know, you know, pull from, a, you know, get an outside scholarship from Target or whatever. And one of the secrets too, which is really cool, which I, which I show with people, um, is right now we're right in the middle of, you know, we're early April. And so if any of your records makers out there right now have some students who are, They've got their decisions coming in. They've got their acceptance letters coming in. They're a senior. They're trying to decide where they want to go. And they're starting to get their financial aid packets in. What you don't want to do is make any decisions until about mid-April. Because May 1 is known as um, National Decision Day. And colleges are a business. And they want to protect their yield. They want to fill seats. Because the the more seats they have, the more money they get, more funding. And so... You get mid-May, now you've got your packages, your financial aid packages, and college A wants to give you this much money and college B wants to give you this much money, but you really want to go to college C. Now you can you can take these other offers and you can appeal to the college you want to go to and say, listen, I'd rather go to your school because um, the, you're my top choice. And here's what this one's going to do for me. What can you do? I just got a recent testimony of just probably this week about a gentleman who was ecstatic and said, please let me be your testimonial because <laughs> I shared that information with him and his daughter, not he, he just wanted them to meet, you know, a certain money that they were going to give him and they exceeded it. He was wow. so happy. Yeah. Um, so that's one thing to do. And so don't make decision, but here's another thing too. 
there's a thing called the summer melt. The summer melt is where from June to August, you're going to lose about 40% of students, even kids who paid their, they paid their apartment or their dorm, their housing. They've, you know, they paid their applications. They've got everything in and they're going to change their mind for whatever reason. Maybe they go to another school. Maybe they don't want to go to school at all. I don't know. Again, what happens now, all this money opens up because they award so much money to certain students. And when that money is not used for that student, it goes in, goes into basically a pot and they reaward that money back out to other students. So, you know, as you're now you've picked your college, you've accepted it, but now you can say, hey, I want to be considered for that money to be reawarded to me. Um, and then even once you get into college, um, what the great thing is there, there are scholarship databases that most colleges have that people don't even know about. Mm. So if you can become sort of that best friend with that financial aid officer, uh, you know, take them the coffee and the donuts, you know, um, and then when a scholarship pops up, you know, they're going to say, they're going to call you and say, guess what just came in? You know, yeah. nobody else knows about this. So lots of things that you can do to get your college paid for. Yeah. Well, I'm here in uh, negotiation. You know, the answer is always no unless you ask. And uh, the power of building relationships uh, via coffee and donuts <laughs> to find out about the awards. Cool. Well, Gene, I'm, I'm really enjoying this conversation. We're going to pause here just for a quick second and get in some messages from our sponsors. When we return, we're going to talk about your program, College Prep Genius. The P6 framework we'll probably touch on. And ruckus makers, you'll want to stick around because you're going to hear what juniors and seniors should focus on this summer. Learn how to successfully navigate change, shape your school's success, and lead your teams with Harvard's Certificate in School Management and Leadership. Get world-class Harvard faculty research specifically adapted for pre-K through 12 schools. This is self-paced online professional development that fits your schedule. Apply now at betterleadersbetterschools.com slash Harvard. The BLBS podcast is also brought to you by TeachFX. Research shows that the more students speak in class, the more they learn and the better they perform. TeachFX has helped hundreds of schools increase their student engagement by visualizing for teachers what portions of class are teacher talk versus student talk. Get a 20% discount on TeachFX by using a special code just for the Ruckus Maker Nation. That's teachfx.com slash BLBS. And today's show is proudly sponsored by Organized Binder. It's a program that gives students daily exposure to goal setting, reflective learning, time and task management, study strategies, organizational skills, and more. Organized Binder's color-coded system is implemented by the teacher through parallel process with students, helping them create a predictable and dependable classroom routine. You can learn more and improve your students' executive functioning at organizedbinder.com. And so we're back with Gene Burke, the author of award-winning College Prep Genius program. And we're talking about a topic I know you'll love, free college. So Gene, what is College Prep Genius? So once we got free college, once we learned how to ace tests like the SAT and the ACT, PSAT, even the CLT, um, everyone wanted to know what we did. And so uh, it wasn't pretty with my son. It was very helter-skelter. We did a lot of different things to fight, figure out what worked. But when I put it all together, what I did was I created 
um, a classroom, ultimately a PowerPoint. And I started out of my home with a few kids that I knew and it kind of grew to where my living room and kitchen were pretty full. And then school started calling me and people from other cities and states would say, hey, would you come to my place? And would you come to my state and teach? And now other countries. And what it is, is what I do in the classroom in my how to ACSAT and ACT program is I take the kids through the, the recurring patterns on the test. Uh, these tests are just standardized logic tests that a standardized test has standardized questions and standardized answers. And so they use the same recurring patterns on every single test. So you can't study for the test. You have to study the test themselves. And so we'll break down, like, for example, the reading section. You've got, you know, several passages and several different types of questions that are all answered differently. And so I'll show them how to skip 75% of the passage, reorder the questions correctly, and then how to find the answer uh, you know, where the answer's found basically every single time. The math, you know, without having to do, you know, long calculations and crunching of numbers, you can answer all the math questions in 30 seconds or less without a calculator because they're not testing your math ability. They're not testing how smart you're on math. They're testing your critical thinking skills on a math problem. It's really just a logic test using math as a medium. And so, even students who are good in math and love math tend to have a very low test score because what they're going to do is they're going to approach it the, the way you do at school. You know, at school, when you take a math class and you take a math test, you know, you, you write the problem out, you do every step, you show all your work. That could take you three minutes, but the test makers only give you about a minute per question. So that means if you work it the long way, the normal way, you are just going to burn the clock up. Um, and then in the writing portion, there's a pattern that that occurs about 75% of the time where you can answer the questions like in 10 seconds. And so it's not about grammar. It's not about your ability uh, to rewrite sentences. It's just knowing the, the 13 recurring problems on the test. And so, and then of course I go into the essays as well. So we go in there, I teach the kids, they get excited, they get motivated and confident. You know, we have live classes that we teach in person. We have online virtual classes. And then we also have an online e-course that's self-paced. So we've had kids raise their scores, you know, four, five, six hundred points in a live class, in a virtual class, or even on our e-course. And so uh, the, the beauty is that it, there's a, a format for anybody. And so once they learn, you know, how to answer the questions correctly, they can find their mistakes, they can self-correct them, um, and then work on those, you know, it, but there's no instant success. You know, you cannot shortcut the shortcut. And so you have to work on it. You have to internalize the strategies. You have to solidify them so that you can apply them appropriately. And that comes, you know, over time, you know, you don't learn a couple of chords on the piano and the next week you're playing Beethoven. And so it's going to be accuracy before speed. And so that's what it takes. You know, it, it's not, it's not something you don't do six sit-ups and you have a six pack, you know, it's not that way. It's a, it's a program, not a pill. Now I finally know what the problem is. <laughs> but one day I'll yeah, do seven six pack, uh, seven crunches. Uh, anyways, <laughs> tell us about the P6 framework. That's nice. I love having frameworks because that clearly you know, articulates uh, what you're all about. So the, the P6 is all about figuring out your sort of your academic interests mixed with your personality. And if you can put all those things together, that can set you on a direction in life, having that clarity. I think what happens is probably a student changes their major four times on average. And when that happens, you know, you're, you're spending more time in college, you're spending more money, you're more frustrated, you might even drop out. And so I think finding out direction early 
is is key. You know, what is best, you know, what would I um, best fit in? What kind of career would be best for me? And so it's really taking who you are and, uh, you know, mixing it together with your academic interests, with your your passions that you have and finding that to be able to get you pointed in the direction to where, okay, I never thought I'd go that way, but you know, that, that is a way that um, could lead me into the, my ultimate career choice. And so I think uh, that is so important to have a clarity uh, because otherwise, you know, you're just going to spin your wheels and maybe just get frustrated and, and just give up. Right. And we promised the ruckus maker listening that he or she could learn what juniors and seniors should really be focusing on this summer. So what is that? So absolutely. So if you've got a junior and this coming summer, well, one of the things, if you have a junior uh, right now, this coming summer is the time that you applications will start to open up. Uh, you could be working on your common app prompts of your essay and they stay basically the same every year. So you could just Google them. They'll have them already out there. Start working on your essays, get your letters of recommendation, make sure your transcript doesn't have any errors in it. Uh, be building your resume, which basically is putting together your activities, you know, your volunteering, your community service, any leadership skills that you have, putting all that together and having it ready. Uh, even doing some summer experiences, some summer programs, there's a lot of them out there and a lot of them are free um, that you can get involved in and put those on your resume. Uh, you, you really, we talk about getting, having uh, 10 schools. Like if you've got a senior right now and they plan on going to college in the fall, then hopefully they filled out their FAFSA. Now, the, if they didn't, it, the opening date is October 1. So this is really good for the upcoming junior, uh, the, the, the juniors right now who will be rising seniors next year. The FAFSA is the free application for student aid. And a lot of people do not fill it out. Remember, there's billions of dollars left on the table every year. People will qualify for grants, but don't know it because what they'll think is, well, I make too much money. And that's a big mistake because... There are three types of aid on your FAFSA. So for all those who have seniors right now that didn't fill out their FAFSA, uh, know this, fill it out, even though October 1 is the opening day. Because what happens is there's not only your federal aid, which maybe be based on like if you have income like 50000 or less, there's what's called state aid, which is 100000 or less. But then there's also institutional aid, which could be if you make some around 250000 so they're free money for everyone. The problem is it's a first come, first serve. Mm. So that means those people who have juniors right now, you you know, come October 1, you need to have all your documents ready. You can go online. You can download a FAFSA worksheet that you can fill out and kind of, you know, just kind of work through it, make sure you, you know, fix any errors. And then you absolutely want to do it on October 1. That's the day you want to fill it out. When I ask people about the fast and they say, well, you know, we didn't get any money. And I'm like, well, when did you fill it out? And they usually tell me like March or April. And I'm like, well, that's why. Because that's one, of, that's one of the mistakes is you didn't do it on time. Um, so that's really good. And so, so for seniors right now, if you've already, if you haven't done your fast, but do that now. If you have, um, your, your financial packages start coming in. But don't be discouraged if, if it showed that your EFC or your estimated family contribution was too high. It's pretty ridiculous. You know, it's 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 almost laughable that what they say that you can you can actually afford for college. Uh, but disregard that because what colleges use is a secret formula called COA minus EFC equals need. Cost of attendance minus estimated family contribution equals need need. Now, need doesn't mean you're needy or doesn't mean you're poor or you're destitute. That's just the formula they use. And so the ideal goal is to have a high COA and a low 
ESC. So instead of thinking of what, what college can I afford, looking to don't rule out Ivy Leagues or elite schools because believe it or not, Stanford and Princeton consider $140,000 low income. So, you know, don't, you know, you want to put together a list of schools. That's nothing that juniors could be doing. Maybe put together about 10 schools, three safety schools. Those are kind of the ones that you have about an 80% chance of getting into mm-hmm. and maybe three sort of target schools uh, where you have maybe a 40 to 60% chance. And then three dream schools or reach schools and where you have a very slim chance of getting in, but, but absolutely don't rule those out. All right. Thank you for those ideas. So Jean, if you could put a message on all school marquees right around the world for a single day, what would your message say? My message would say, finish school, become a millionaire. (laughs) You know, we live in a world right now where the kids of today are sort of in this instant temporal, materialistic, you know, TikTok, give me my instant fame, 15 minutes of fame kind of thing. And I think, you know, what, how many likes do I have? How many, you know, how many followers do I have? You know, cause the more I have, the more money I'm going to get. And you know, that maybe happens to a minute amount of people, but that's not the norm. But according to the government website, scorecard.ed.gov, students who go to college and graduate will make $1 million more over their lifetime than a high school graduate. And if students understood that and they put the time in, it could, it could change everything, you know, regardless of your income, it, it doesn't matter, you know, getting that bachelor degree, having that piece of paper can literally set you up for life. And ironically, 75% of all crime is com- committed by students who drop out of school. That's a sad statement. That's a terrible epidemic. We have to keep kids in school. And if we could keep them in school and get them motivated early, one, ironically, uh, in up, upstate New York, one of the gentlemen told me that they actually can pretty much predict how many prison beds that they're going to need by looking at the third grade test scores. And I thought that was amazing. And so by grabbing kids early, getting them, and, you know, as we go into my sort of my top three of how I would build a school, uh, I kind of use that model of how do we keep you know, kids in school and get them motivated. And so I, I, I you know, I worked on that to, to stop that, to stop that epidemic. Can you imagine what else would stop crime by 75%? That's amazing. Sure. Well, let's move to that question. If you're building your dream school, Gene, right? And you're not limited by any resources, your only limitation to your imagination. How would you build that dream school? And what would be the three guiding principles? Well, you know, what was tough, uh, Daniel, was coming up with three. I, I mean, so I thought, how do I narrow these down to three? Uh, but I did three, and I have a couple honorable mentions, okay, if, if I have time to say those. Uh, but my first would be basically learning styles. You know, as a homeschooling mom, I think one of the successes about homeschooling is the flexibility that you have with each student, because every child is different. Education is not a one-size-fits-all. And what happens is you have you may have a student in a classroom who's a really smart kid, but they have a different learning style. So they might be an auditory learner, but yet the teacher maybe is more of a visual teacher. So I would have every student trained, uh, tested. And then I would have, since money is no object, then the kids who were visual learners would go into a classroom where the teacher taught everything visually. And those who are auditory, they'll go in that class. And those who are more kinesthetic will go into more of a hands-on class. And what you would end up having is you would end up having kids who love school because it's feeling very personalized to them. They get it. They're not, you know, 
they're learning the way they learn. That's just how they're bent. That's how they're intuitive. What happens now is you've got a kid who isn't getting it because of the style. And so they're often put in a, a group and labeled as sort of a dumb or they have a disability and they have that stigma the rest of their life when in reality, they may have been very gifted. Um, and so you've got, if you can put every kid in their own, their own special learning style, uh, you'll have kids who cannot wait to go to school. They, they love learning. And, and not only that, if you've got kids who are more advanced and they, they get it, what happens now is they get bored and they get in trouble. We don't want that. We want the kids to be able to advance on if they can. Maybe there's an advanced class that they can go into because we want them to be able to move at their own pace. Uh, along in that, having sort of the, you know, building in mandatory note-taking and study skills and soft skills as well, because that's going to go a long way for them. And also, in their own special, whether it's auditory or kinesthetic learning, let them all be some kind of leader. Whether it's once a week, once a month, everybody gets to do lead something. And so now they're building leadership skills along the way. And so uh, I think what this is going to do is going gonna, gonna to resist the temptation to drop out because they're going to want to go to school. A lot of kids hate school because they don't get it or they're picked on because, oh, you're a dummy and they're not really a dummy. That's just not how they learn. And, you know, I can relate being a homeschooling mom because my kids, my son, for example, was a very visual learner. And I may have gave, given him a list of, you know, 15 Abeka spelling words. And he would go through them two or three times and it would just click. My daughter would look at that same list and cry because she just, she just didn't see it. But I was able to tailor her spelling with a more of a kinesthetic program. And, and both my kids, Lifetime 4.0, high school, college, grad school, law school. And so they were successful because their academics throughout their life um, was bent toward them. That's number one. Number two, I think because we talked about clarity and direction, you know, a lot of kids think school is for socializing. Well, I think that the focus should be that school really is sort of a part-time job for you now. Consider this sort of your stepping stone to bigger and better things, you know, as you're starting to learn school and love school and want you, you want to be educated for life. And I would really incorporate real life classes like finances, basic life skills that they can use for a lifetime. And then since money is no object in the younger grades, I would give them, and this would go along with them loving school. I would create some sort of fake dollars, you know, fake school money. And they, you know, it's kind of teaching them to be rewarded for hard work. So when you attended class, you got money when you, and it's fake money and it goes into an account. Um, and, and then if you got a good grade or if you did your homework, uh, you would get certain money and this money can either be saved or it could be spent. And there would be a store, there would be a store that has all kinds of really cool prizes and you could go buy stuff from the store or you could save it. And there would be a couple types of savings. You could have sort of this bank savings where you get a little bit of interest. You know, you put $100 of fake money in and maybe when you go to withdraw, you have 110. Oh, good. Now I can buy that, that, you know, that Nerf ball thing or whatever I wanted. Um, or you could have more of a long-term sort of a money market for lack of a better word, where it would grow at a higher interest rate. Not so much as the rule of 72, but it would grow in a way that, let's say, by the time they got to middle school or even high school, they would have this exponential amount of money, which would, you know, obviously get bigger prizes, better prizes. And so what it's teaching the kids is that, okay, you can have instant gratification and you can go buy that toy now or whatever that is. And that's fine. It's, you earned it. You get it. Or 
you can save it or you could do a combination. So I think this really helps them uh, with, you know, in real life. So the reward for hard work is there. And this is really setting them up for real life. I think kids don't understand the reward system of working and getting compensated for it. Uh, and, and they can have an electronic account where they can see their money grow or how much they actually spent. So they could check their account just like it was a bank account. And then in the middle school years, what I think would be great is to have career days. And that would bring in actual uh, uh, professionals in the community, whether they're a teacher, doctor, lawyer, you know, engineer, and they could share uh, not only about their jobs and, you know, what it entails, um, they could even earn more school money by creating a notebook and asking questions of the teacher or the nurse, you know, tell me about what's the best part of your job or, you know, what, you know, what's been your, you know, your, your worst patient or, or whatever it is. Um, but then ultimately in the older grades, what I think would be great is, you know, they're starting to get this clarity of major and, and they're taking some career tests. And then they can have what's called career role role play days and where it could be kind of almost like a city set up where you've got your bank and you've got your real estate office and you've got, you know, your college and, and say someone has become a nurse and let's suppose they get like 40,000 a year uh, to, to, uh, is, is in salary. You know, how much of that needs to go to student loans? If your grades weren't good enough and you didn't get a best score, then maybe how much would your loan payment be every month? And if you want to live in this house, this is how much it's going to cost. Or if you want to buy this car, and if the kids who saved all these years, they can now add that money onto their salary because now they can live in this house over here because they saved in the big money count as opposed to spending it, you know, or, or whatever. And they can withdraw the money, uh, you know, and I think the booth people at the booth would provide such insight into, you know, each different career, whether it's a bank or childcare provider, you know, and, and, and if you got free college based on, you know, you had good grades and good test scores and all that, then you don't have that loan payment every month. So that's another thing. Um, so that's sort of my second, you know, real world experience for kids. Um, and then my third that I think is important. Um, and that is I would remove all technology from school except for computers to learn, uh, you know, typing and to learn Excel and PowerPoint and spreadsheets and all that. Um, I think the one issue that we have today, and I know I have friends who are, who are principals and parents and teachers, the one thing that is frustrating them and disrupting classrooms is technology, is cell phones. And not only that, kids are given cell phones earlier and earlier without monitoring or without boundaries. And what's happening is, you know, you don't need a cell phone in school. There's a phone in the office. I'm talking old school here because if parents need to get a hold of you or you need to get a hold of your parent, there's an office phone. You don't need this. School is for learning. If you get caught, you know, of course, that's going to probably deduct out of your money. Um, it's, it's dividing our kids' attentions is what's happening. School is for educating, not for socializing. You can socialize on your breaks. You can socialize at lunch. You can socialize after school. Nothing wrong with that at all. We're not anti that. But let's keep school for what it is. I, here's the thing. We can all take a page out of the book of some of the brightest technological minds. Steve Jobs of Apple. Chris Anderson of 3D, Evan Williams of Twitter and Blogger. What, what do these guys, these genius, technical, logical geniuses do? Number one, they limit their kids' technology use of anything with mindless games. They don't allow any screens in their kids' bedrooms. 
They don't allow telephones. They don't allow computers. They don't allow TVs. They don't allow games. What does that tell you about the guys who know the benefits of technology, but they also know the dangers. They also know that these devices stifle boredom and we need to be bored because boredom uh, is how you become creative. And so what's really interesting about these guys and, and Silicon Valley is that those guys, the head of Google, the head of Facebook, you know where they send their kids to school? All you records makers, listen to this. The Waldorf School of the Peninsula. It is a school that allows zero technology at school. They have no, no technology at all, and they actually discourage it at home. And so 97% of these kids go to top tier elite schools. So what does that tell us? That here's the problem. We've got an epidemic of screen addiction. You know, the average student spends eight to 10 hours a day on some kind of technology. If they're awake, they're online somewhere. And so not only is that called sleep, de sleep deprivation, but what happens is it causes what the dopamine stimulation, uh, stimulation of our brain. It's, it's like a hit. Every time you see a screen, every time a light flashes, every time somebody texts you, what happens is the dopamine is that feel-good transmitter of our brain that basically encourages repeat behavior. And so this excessive dopamine stimulation is shrinking the frontal cortex of our brain, the ability to say no. That's why they're more and more addicted. And so that part of our brain is not developed until we're 25. And so this is what's happened to our kids. They are getting uh, all this, you know, stuff happening in their brain that's going to hinder them down the line. And then the other thing, what happens is the myelination of the brain, which is the brain's white matter. And that's what basically insulates the neural pathways. And so all these flashing lights and constant dopamine causes the kids to have that inability to focus and they have a hard time making decisions. And so it reduces their empathy and it causes more and more ADHD and, and even schizophrenia and even we've seen the suicide as well. Um, so I think what's happening is, is that we have to take a step back. And I, I remember 60s, 70s, you know, there was sort of this, hey, if you, you know, everybody, everybody smoked. 50s, 60s, everybody smoked. It was cool. All the old movies have everybody smoking. Somewhere in the 70s, they, they put a label on the cigarettes that said, you know, this might cause cancer. But somewhere later down in the late 80s, into the 90s, they actually put a sticker that says, this does cause cancer. And what's happening is these technology are just handed to kids with no labels. If it said, oh, by the way, this is what's going to happen to your kids' brains, and this is what you need to do and you need to limit, then I think people would take a step back. And so uh, this is why I'm such a big believer in stepping back on the technology and and getting our kids, getting our kids healthy because they, they're not, they're not focusing. And this is a detriment in the classroom. All your records makers out there are thinking, yes, we have to fight the kids because we're trying to get, we've prepared, we've spent years to learn to train you in the classroom. And yet you're not even giving us your attention. It's like, it's like you talking to me and I look over here and start talking to this guy over here. How rude and disrespectful is that? Mm -hmm. And that's what we see is happening mm -hmm. in, in today's schools. Yeah, well, you added some uh, other layers, right, to what we were talking about there, especially with technology. So I think we'll end the podcast with um, one more resource. You know, for sure, you should check out Gene's work in College Prep Genius. But if that, uh, that riff on technology hit a nerve for you, um, go to minimizedistraction.com, 
which is a slide deck of a, a Google employee who was blowing the whistle on uh, what these big tech companies were creating. So, um, you know, I, I believe, and I know that to be true, all, all these folks are with their kids. It's like no technology because they know what they've built. And the reality is we're the product, right? Uh, all the, all the, the Googles, Facebooks, all the places um, we're being sold for our data and advertising. And uh, anyways, um, there are teams of million dollar bankrolled neuroscientists who understand how your brain works much better than you do. <laughs> and they're designing these products to, to keep you on and it's, uh, it is causing a big problem. So um, Gene Burke from College Prep Genius, thank you so much for uh, visiting us here on the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast. Thanks, Daniel. Thanks for listening to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast, Ruckus Maker. If you have a question or would like to connect, my email, daniel at betterleadersbetterschools.com or hit me up on Twitter at Alien Earbud. If the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast is helping you grow as a school leader, then please help us serve more ruckus makers like you. You can subscribe, leave an honest rating and review, or share on social media with your biggest takeaway from the episode. Extra credit for tagging me on Twitter at Alien Earbud and using the hashtag BLBS. Level up your leadership at betterleadersbetterschools.com and talk to you next time. Until then, class dismissed. Mm-hmm.